0: I thought that i had everybody on my side but i went and blew it all sky high and now she won't even spare a passing glance all just because i ripped my pants when big larry came around just to put him down spongebob turned into a clown and no girl had Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarland this week here with Philip Seip. And uh, as we stare down the uh, terrifying barrel of looming world war, uh, we figured we should have a very uh, serious and in-depth episode about the morality fabulization of SpongeBob SquarePants.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, my kids have been cycling through some, you know, various cartoons. Uh, They tend to engage like uh, all of the uh, at least kind of Western culture has tended to recently of like doing the binge watching bit. And so they tend to binge watch a a show. And currently they're on Rugrats and Spongebob as things. So I've gotten to re-experience some of the classic old Spongebob episodes that still have almost word for word in my mind from my childhood and it was um interesting the the particular episode we're going to talk about today uh the ripped pants episode jumped out at me as one that would be worth talking about I think there's an interesting aspect of wrestling with masculinity and you know sort of dealing with elements of toxic masculinity and elements of positive masculinity and perception and all that stuff that I I was like we should talk about this and so here we
0: are (laughs) <laughs> yeah. no, I agree. And I think um yeah, I think uh, the through lines of this kind of fall through almost everything else we've talked about. A big one of them is kind of the kind of perceptions that lead men down these kind of incel routes. Uh, these perceptions often that relate especially to uh this idea that like Women are only attracted in a very specific type of man who is has a very specific set of interests. And now this is something that I think might be a unique takeaway that I actually had to this episode, uh, is that I kind of see this whole episode as a discussion of interests. Um, it's and, and, and it, it's something that really rings to me coming from like a small town community. Um, my own perception of this, my own like experience of this. So, in the in the episode, SpongeBob uh, is invited by uh, a very large, obviously masculine character, uh, v- perceptively masculine character, I should say. I, I um, but anyways, uh, he's invited to like go lift weights, and it's the character, and then his sort of love interest. I don't know if that's really the right way to it. it it's it's. The squirrel. I am bad at remembering the names. Sandy. Of the yes, Sandy. I haven't watched these cartoons since I was a kid. This one I rewatched today. But uh well, that's actually a lie. um Me and my wife have watched these before. But, anyways, to my point. Yeah. So he uh, she, he's invited to this like weightlifting thing, and it's not SpongeBob's thing. It's not SpongeBob's interest. It's not his skill set. It's not something he's capable of doing. And he immediately feels uh, lesser, like the, the problem is him, he has to compete, he has to be as good as this guy who is clearly, this isn't his skill set, this isn't his knowledge base, this is this thing he has practiced for a very long time, and the whole episode is basically, in my perception, Spongebob dealing with that in less than ideal ways.
1: Um, yeah for sure i i think that there's a lot to talk about here and i'll I'll preface this with like i think we're both fully aware that we are taking a nine minute children's cartoon episode very seriously here for a moment but uh you know if you'll if you'll grant us the the benefit of the doubt here that i think there's actually an interesting thing there's some interesting things to take away from this uh in that um watching it feels like yeah no i get it i get the through line here it feels like a very compel has a very compelling like, feel to it and i think like examining that in some detail might you know draw out some interesting things so like um continuing on from from what you just said like i think it's really interesting that from the very beginning you know the show like prior to even being invited to lift weights like i, I think one thing i i really focused on in, in watching this is that everything in the episode is intentionally put in and animated by a team of writers and animators. So like they don't put stuff in there unless they feel like it adds something to the episode. So prior to being invited to lift weights, they have a whole scene where he's just on the beach with Sandy and he's making, he's telling funny jokes. Like, Doing funny things with sand and making puns and you know and uh, doing um, uh, impressions of people that they both know and uh, she's cracking up you know they have a very good relationship where you know he is very funny she finds it very funny and she's laughing a lot and you know she has this other interest of liking to lift weights and so they go and do that thing with Larry because Sandy wants to. Um, And it's, I I think from the very beginning, so the show sets up like showing you like, hey, look, Spongebob's got stuff that he's good at. And then they go do a thing that he's not. And he's clearly embarrassed by that, intimidated by that. He feels this need to be strong, to be masculine, I would say in this way. But I think at the very beginning of this weightlifting section, the show goes out of its way to show that the problem is Spongebob perception in two particular ways. One is that, Um, when he lifts the initial stick (laughs) that he lifts and is like hey look i did it you know like he's not embarrassed until the crowd gives him a muted reaction so there there was never a sense in his mind of like of like this is you know embarrassing until he didn't stack up but specifically it's interesting that At the end of the episode, like there's there's some language about like, you know, like, oh, like Larry's putting Spongebob down when that doesn't actually happen. And Larry's not the only strong person there lifting weights. Sandy, the girl, is also very strong, as strong as Larry, perhaps stronger uh, based on what we see in the episode. And but Spongebob still walks away feeling inferior in some way. And I think it's really interesting that, like, that seems to really demonstrate, like, this the problem is with his perception. He feels, like, insufficient as a, as a man, you know, not, not by, by Larry specifically, despite the fact that, like, Sandy is debatably stronger. She's a girl, and he was fine with it up until the crowd didn't cheer him on.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, his primary concern is Sandy's perception of him. And she has already very much expressed that she is not, like, that. that's not a thing that matters to her. What matters to her is that she finds him funny, and she appreciates that and likes that about him. Uh, and, and that is something that I think, like, that core element and that hang-up is something that I think leads down leads a lot of men down a kind of a bad path. I'm getting a hang up about if I want other people to be attracted in me, I have to have very specific skill sets and things that I'm good at. The, the the things that I'm actually have skill sets interests in things that I'm good at those don't matter I have to have these predetermined set of masculine ones and so in what I'm earlier I mentioned that like from a rural area a lot of this rings to me one of the elements of that is that I feel like a lot of this kind of gets highlighted and magnified in rural areas uh, specifically with the type of cultural war, cur- culture where I grew up where um, like f- especially for boys. Uh, growing up in high school, you were you had a very limited selection of interests put before you that were like socially allowed. You were either into agriculture, you were into cows, or you were into sports, most predominantly football, maybe basketball. And the same thing went for girls. Girls had a very sl- limited set of interests. And once you, and then this is going to get into more of the episode further on, is once you selected your interest that was deemed attractive to uh, whoever you were trying to attract and uh, appropriate to what your gender was, you were expected to hold to that interest forever. That one thing is your personality now. Your personality is never allowed to deviate from it. And it creates this situation where, like, in small towns, like, I'm 32 years old, and... You know, if I look up anybody I went to school with, most likely they have the exact same personality that they had in high school. And that's not healthy. That's not good uh, for yourself. And it's not a thing that tends to lead you to be attractive or... It just makes you tough for other people to relate to because it's unhealthy. I mean, anything you do yourself that is unhealthy for yourself is it tends to become a social problem right and yeah. uh yeah and it and it, d- that is where spongebob immediately hyperfixates on so then he rips his pants he's trying to lift the weights he rips his pants everybody laughs at him and he hyper fixates on that and is like okay my thing is comedy i have to make everyone laugh they laugh at me ripping my pants my entire personality now is me ripping my pants
1: yeah, well, and it's really interesting, too, because there's a little bit of that, right? There's, there's almost a moment where he doesn't fall into that again. Like, he walks off is very embarrassed, thinks everyone's laughing at him. And then someone's like, dude, you're hilarious. And he's like, brightens up, like, oh, everyone thinks I did this on purpose. You know, there's this sort of sense of, like, oh, I'm funny. That's right. I can be a funny man. And then, like, the very next scene is, like, they all go play volleyball, another athletic thing where, like, strength and power comes in. And he jumps up to spike the ball, smacks his hand against it, and it doesn't move at all in a very cartoony sort of way. And, you know, he's very deeply embarrassed. the, The animators even take the time to animate him looking around at everyone at the crowd and, like, you know, having that moment of, like, oh, no, I've embarrassed myself again in front of the crowd and now everyone thinks I'm weak. And he at that moment goes, like, has this, like, look on his face, like, ah, I remember what I need to do in this scenario. I need to rip my pants and make everyone laugh. And he does it. Of course, everyone cracks up. And it's the funny thing that he does. And, uh, but, like, his his initial instinct is to use it as a cover for his perceived failure to hold up to another a different ideal that he thinks he should be able to be doing he should be able to be a strong man that can spike the the volleyball when he can't he's like oh wait i'm the ripped pants guy remember you know like don't think of me as a failure this is my shtick you know it's a cover which uh, i unfor- yeah.
0: i unfortunately feel like is probably a much too close to home easy thing for a group of comedy writers to write about because so often in comedy. Uh and you know, like the class clown thing is something that like, you know, and even in the field of education, we kind of know that the kid who's being a class clown probably has other deeper issues that they're going through because it's a it's a shield. It's something you put up. It's a defensive mechanism. Uh tell jokes, make everybody laugh at you and then they're not gonna pay attention to the thing that you don't want them to pay attention to. Um
1: Right. Yeah. And so like it's really interesting that, you know, that initially it's like uh, he makes it so much of his personality as a cover for his failures but then um he sort of gets wrapped up in this like uh broader attention of like everyone thinking he's so funny and then begins to like overdo it and it's interesting because initially this is motivated by an attempt to save face with his relationship with sandy uh and another thing the animators go out of their way to show is there's a scene where they go to get ice cream and he makes a ripped pants joke and sandy is still laughing sandy thinks it's hilarious and she's cracking up the ice cream guy is like okay yeah this again we're getting like they, they go out of their way to show a moment where most people are getting tired of it but sandy still thinks it's funny she is still likes it but he is so disconnected at this point like this is this to me is like a very intentional message it's really showing that he is so disconnected from reality and and what's really going on and what he really cares about because he's been swept away in the ideal and covering for and insecurity and all the stuff that like he sees as these broad big picture things that he doesn't even see that the people closest to him the people that he actually cares about at the end of the day the people that his song at the end was actually about we're still very happy with him way long after everyone else is already tired of it. And like there, there are other examples of this that we'll get into as we keep on through the episode. But like, I, I, I really think that there's a very intentional showing of the, in the episode here of like them trying to show that, like the problem here is that SpongeBob is trying to live up to some sort of masculine ideal of being like strong, tough, athletic and all this stuff. And he's just not, and it's okay. Like the people that, that he hangs out with that like him, they, they like him for the things that he's good at and for the things that he adds to their lives, not for holding up to some ideal that's impressive to a crowd of random people. But uh, yeah, it, it, the show go- repeats this in a couple of different ways, I think, as they as they go on. But yeah,
0: yeah, I agree, and and that kind of brings us to uh, uh, the moment that leads to the moment that I think is one of the funniest moments in the in the episode. Um, but it, it so the, from there he goes there. He's surfing, and, uh, and and correct me if I'm skipping a scene or something. But he's surfing, and then he rips his pants on the surfboard. Nobody is really into it. Uh, and then he falls off of the surfboard, almost drowns, uh, sort of drowns, and is re- I mean, as much as a sponge can drown in the ocean, and is then revived by a lifeguard. Um, and then when the lifeguard revives him, he makes a ripped pants joke of, oh, I need, I need, what do you need? What, what, what is it that you need? I need a tailor. And nobody finds that funny at all huge flop and that i think is the yeah i mean that's uh the next scene the scene that i think is the funniest in the episode he clarifies that that is the first time where he realizes that this shtick isn't working anymore nobody's into it because he's like he's like in a shed and he's like going through a tick box of like this worked haha this worked haha drowning no, don't do the drowning. And it just yeah. cracks me up the way they're talking. I actually have something it's. very
1: specific to point out here because he mentions a couple of things in the episode that, that he goes through those tick boxes on. Several that were like, okay, yeah, like lifting weights, hilarious. Uh, you know, ripping your pants, playing volleyball, also hilarious. Interestingly, the, third I- the fourth item is there's four items on the list. Those are the first two. The fourth item is drowning that he says no to. The third item really interestingly, is surfing, which he has in his list as knocks him dead. If you go and watch the episode when Nobody he does he the surfing it. ripped pants joke, the commentators later are like, there's Spongebob ripping his pants again, and no one's laughing. They they specifically included him having a example in his notes of everyone thinks this is funny that was very specifically shown as a moment that no one thought it was funny. And it was only... the only reason that he realized that the drowning one wasn't funny is because Sandy specifically comes up to him and says, that wasn't funny. You had me worried sick. Like that's so intentional, right? Like there's no way like there it's like the most clear demonstration in the whole episode that like, this is an entirely a problem that he has invented for himself. If he had just, gone. You know what? I don't got to be an athletic guy. That's cool. Like it doesn't mean I'm less of a man. It doesn't mean I'm less of a person. Like people still like me. I'm funny. I have other things to bring to the table other than being, you know, big McLarge huge and, uh, being okay with that. But instead he gets so wrapped up in covering for this and then gets wrapped up in the attention and, and that he gets from covering for it and all that stuff that he can't even like he he's he's completely lost a perception even of people liking the one thing that he's that he's made into his into his sort of central personality trait
0: yes and yeah so he finishes the list he steps outside what does he do obviously you lean further into the joke when nobody is laughing you just make the joke harder it always works better and he steps outside and rips his pants completely off and nobody's even around to not make to not enjoy his humor. They've all left and are all going enjoying themselves doing better things. Which is especially
1: funny because he says inside the shed, Come on, SpongeBob, your public is waiting. Yes. Literally no one is waiting on him.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it is uh, I think that moment kind of highlights his, the self centeredness he has to that episode, which is also his character. It's the thing. Um, and so, yeah, and then he comes across a bunch of other characters who also feel like massive failures because he, at this point, has decided that he is a massive failure. And this is when he breaks into song, which is the high point of the episode. Uh, the song of about him ripping his pants where he reiterates everything that just happened in the episode. And he does an amazing musical number as Spongebob always does because his real talent is, is as a musician. And Sandy loves it. And Sandy is like, yes, this is fantastic. This is you. Do this. You're good at this. Do the thing. And this is actually where I take problem with the episode because this is where she just tells him... Just be yourself. And I think that's terrible advice. I mean, I think it's good advice, but it's terrible advice. In the same way that if somebody gave you directions on how to get somewhere, and then you were like, um, but I'm going to need you to show me those directions in the car with me and go through them step by step, you'd say, oh, well, those must have been some terrible directions. That's exactly how the guidance of just be yourself is. It doesn't help anybody. Nobody knows. like, Okay, so what do I do? What's the next step? How do I be myself?
1: Yeah, well, so it's kind of interesting in how you take the advice, uh, be true to yourself. There's like a sense in which like um, that is his problem is that he kept trying to live. He he had a perception that he needed to live up to some sort of ideal. But it's also in a sense the opposite of his problem in that he was a little bit, he he made something that was true to him too singularly central to his existence. Like he he took, like, oh, I'm funny, but like very particularly on this one specific joke and drove it into the ground. So like in a weird way, his biggest failure was when he was he was being somewhat true to himself and covering for his failure with his humor but i think that the real problem is that he didn't need to use his humor as a cover he just needed to use his humor as an aspect of his you know unique personality that people like for what he is not as a like way to hide an a per, a perceived insufficient athleticism mm mm-hmm. mhm you know, like, it, it's weird because like, it's like almost there. Like, the, and it's not entirely wrong. But it's also like a little bit incomplete. It's like, okay, like, it feels a little bit like, hey, be true to yourself, uh, but not that way. Like, it's weird.
0: Yeah, no, no, I agree. And I mean, and I um, so now like a personal story for me from this of because I think this is one of those kind of stories that a lot of kids go through in school. And I think that's one of the reasons why this is a very valid, very good, uh, like, you know, episode for kids, because kids can relate to it pretty heavily. Uh, I related to it very heavily as a kid, I went through a number of different very intense phases as a kid, partly because I have problems with hyperfixation. Uh one of those phases was in high school. I um whew, there's a long like I've literally written entire uh, essays about how I went why and the framework of this, but I got I, I was a hip hop artist. I was very um into an appropriative of black culture and I was, initially, this came about when I was living in a city, uh, in a major city, and and then I moved uh, back to my small town. And so then I was the only person like this in my small town. Uh, It was my shtick for a while. Uh, There was a few specific people who were into it. Uh, Then those people got very tired of it, and I reached a point pretty much in my junior-senior year of high school where it finally got through my thick head that nobody bought my shtick anymore. They realized that I was trying to cover for something else, for insecurities that I felt, Uh, which in this shtick was... When I say that, like, I was very appropriative of black culture, I talked with a black scent extremely heavily, wore tall tees, sagged my jeans to my knees. It was the early 2000s. Uh, It was all about the, you know, like, crisp white shoes. I uh, carried, like, a duffel bag around on my back. Like, I try i i just i was that very stereotypical white kid in a small town like that small towns rapper kid um and there was issues with that racial issues as i've talked about as i just said it was very appropriative it was very problematic um again i've i've written essays about this and i may link them on the when i post this but it's it was a thing that yeah i i went through this process of realizing nobody was into it and then Ah, fuck, how do I change this about myself? Who am I? How do I find... Okay, so if I need to be myself and stop being this manufactured facade that I've put up, well, I've been doing this for five years. How do I do that? Who is that? How do I achieve that? Um, And that was a lot harder than just like a be yourself. Be yourself didn't guide me in that. Um, And there was specifically in that, there was a fear that if i changed if i just walked into school the next day uh you know in normal clothes like everybody else wore with a normal voice like everybody else had just being myself i thought people would reject that people would just freak out because my thing was ripping my pants if i'm not ripping my pants i'm not being true to myself Uh, nobody's gonna find me funny anymore such and so forth um, and I think I think an important lesson there is like no people will appreciate when you change as a person when your personality changes f- because you're trying to improve yourself and better yourself and be truer to yourself and not mask things and hide things and cover up your insecurities with something that is fictitious. People will embrace that and will accept that, and you will get more friends. I certainly it yeah, I got a lot more friends and had a much more vivid social life after I dropped my facades in high school.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's a very, um, it's a very common sort of thing of, you know, wanting to have, uh, sort of wrestling with the with the contradiction that, you um, i think every teenager wrestles with to some degree of wanting to have you know needing to have something that's unique about you so that you're not just an npc you know uh you want to have that sort of unique spin but also there's a there's a contradiction in that like everyone you know there's punishment for non-conformity you know um go too far off the beaten path people start um you know making fun of you there's criticisms of that of course uh but i think like wrestling with that as a teenager a lot of times an easy solution or perceived easy solution is i'm going to take an aesthetic that's popular as the hip-hop aesthetic was particularly in, in the time period you're talking about um and i'm going to mimic that aesthetic in a way that other people around here don't typically so that it's recognized as my unique thing, but by being attached to a larger aesthetic and history, like it will pr- protect me from the sort of accusations of being too far off, you know, the beaten path. Um, and so you get a bunch of kids who essentially like fall into, you know, stereotypes and groups, uh, cliques or whatever that are all kind of attempting to performatively do this sort of thing of like pulling off a certain sort of personality or aesthetic or whatever in order to simultaneously conform and stand out. Um, And I, I think this episode of SpongeBob sort of interestingly captures that pretty well for a nine minute cartoon intended for children uh you know of someone who is uh you know playing into a particular aesthetic so that he can fit in uh without you know being too uh because when he you know it's when he goes too far off of that path you know he starts trying to do to do it too much or something you know uh that it becomes um a problem uh but you know I, I think I, I i understand what you mean um i will say that like um i always struggle a little bit with the and maybe this is a topic for another time but the the uh, appropriativeness being a uh another interesting contradiction of like you know typically like the appropriation accusation is one done from the perspective of like uh you know, oh, white owned businesses come in and they take black culture and black history and they monetize it and productize it. And that's kind of like the traditional sort of, you know, cultural appropriation type thing. It's, it's, it's a really interesting and strange topic when you talk, when you bring it down to sort of like an individual morality instance, because it's like, uh, now you have to draw that really interesting fuzzy line between like what aspects of a culture that you are not a part of directly are you allowed to enjoy before it's appropriative you
0: know yeah no and i i agree with you i do think you know this is uh, something i think is a very valid conversation one that i have with a lot of folks uh pretty frequently partly because of my past and and i, I do think my situation had something maybe not necessarily unique but it a perspective that I, I, I think, I, mine came with a more unique, well, with a unique perspective that I think caused it to be more problematic of an appropriativeness. It wasn't just like me wearing cornrows because I thought cornrows looked cool. It wasn't just because things looked cool. Um, and, and I, and I want to dive into this because it was very specific to some toxic masculinity issues. Of It was middle school me, early high school me, who was a very small kid at the time. I was, a uh, lot, like, I, you know, I, I was smaller than most of my classmates at that time, and I was very insecure about it. I, um, was, you know, afraid of other boys, I guess you would say. Um, and I sought to take on a persona that would intimidate and, like, will intimidate other people, and so I... Not intentionally in that, you know, like, it wasn't in my mind of, oh, well, if I act like a young black man, I will be scary and intimidating. But that was the implicit basis that my mind was working off of. I had this implicit association of young black men being scary and intimidating and gaining, like, a intimidation respect from people, and I was appropriating that to, for my own insecurity, um, which is a problem. It's based on an implicit racial bias that, uh, was something that I also had to eventually unpack. Um, that was, and and this is the, 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 the title of my essay is unpacking my own racism. Uh, and then, uh, that was also wrapped up into some other things of, and also things that I did later in high school, uh, certain, uh, uh, mischievous and, uh, gray zone activities that I got involved in that, uh, I did with that appropriativeness, which is also comes with a problematic hue of, uh, basically fueling those stereotypes of people with that young black male association being people who are intimidating, scary, and who commit crime, um, and I think all of that was something that was a part of my own racial implicit biases and uh, stereotypes and view perspectives of the world that I had to unpack and have to continue to unpack.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting thing uh, to note because like I often uh, uh, someone who you know um, has enjoyed, uh you know music and and media and stuff from uh from a variety of cultures i I get uh i see a lot some of the discourse on on that kind of stuff gets uncomfortably weird into the state of like like if you if you like you know uh the clothes from this culture and you aren't you know like of that culture then you're racist or whatever it gets uh uh you know, obviously there's bad takes all over Twitter. Uh, but, uh, you know, I do see that sometimes. And, uh,
0: Yeah, and I think that would be a valuable episode for us to have some time, and it's something that I uh, enjoy diving into. Um, And and being somebody from a hip-hop background who had years of recording experience in the hip-hop industry and years of performing experience in the hip-hop industry, it's uh, something I like diving down, and especially also still being an extremely avid hip-hop fan. uh, It's something I like to dive down, because even with that, I get criticism from Again as you mentioned uh, a little bit almost explicitly uh, liberal white people I'm not I'm not saying leftist I'm saying liberal liberal white people uh, giving me some criticism for just being a fan of hip-hop of like hmm is that yours to enjoy and I'm like well anybody can enjoy it like now I used to have some appropriative issues with this. I now enjoy it as myself as, my own person and I don't, and I don't need it to be about me and I don't need to put myself into it. But, uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's, there's a lot to unpack there. And oh boy, is it a web and, uh, something yeah. I've talked about in some other episodes of there was a web of my experiences in that where like I, I have, uh, walked some interesting spaces in white hip hop. There are some problematic spaces of, white rural hip hop uh white rural hip hop artists who were explicit neo-Nazis. Um a lot of interesting stuff there. Oh
1: yeah yeah. For yeah. for another are day, you, are not as Are, are You're telling me there's some some problematic aspects of of uh hip-hop culture as the color of me shocked.
0: <laughs> Specifically of white people in hip-hop culture, I have to say, uh yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I think anything that touches the music industry tends to end up, uh, yes. <laughs> at least in a popular way, very, like, pro-wealth, <laughs> uh, <Yes. laughs> but uh, that's, that's I'm getting a little too far afield here, Uh I didn't expect when we started an episode on the ripped pants episode of Spongebob to end up in cultural appropriation. <laughs> uh, just goes to show you, you never quite know where you're going to go with these conversations. Um, but, and,
0: and yeah. we Didn't even bring up the Texas squirrel that is Sandy. And I'm not oh, claiming man. that's yeah. cultural appropriation of Texas, yeah. but how
1: dare Sandy and, uh, uh oh man (laughs) i can't even come up with a funny enough one on the but there's something in there about like how how hard she plays into like texas-based stereotypes but
0: um Uh, i'm sure there's a pun in there and i'm sure it's nuts y'all but i don't know what it is
1: (laughs) oh man uh yeah but yeah all in all i think this episode of spongebob is a really interesting one i feel like there's actually like um there's a lot of things that like you could talk about, like, uh, um, I think it's, um, worth noting that like, um, Larry comes up and asks for his autograph at the end, like really excitedly. It's like very clearly demonstrating at the very last possible moment that, Hey, like, (laughs) look, Larry's being nice. The problem isn't (laughs) that like there are masculine people that lift weights. The problem is like his perception that he needs to be that, but, yeah, and, um, you know,
0: and 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 I think that's actually a very interesting point in that a lot of the media perspective and perception, and then also like you know the perception you hear from I don't know a lot of people in like incel spaces, and that's not even really the right spaces, but just in certain male spaces yeah it's this attitude that like the guys who are into weightlifting and the guys who are into all of the mass like typically masculine things you can think of like whether this be uh cars and automotive stuff um or it be like lumberjacking or uh you know uh like whatever you're masculine uh, stereotype interest is, there is this perspective that they are extremely exclusive and mean to weaker men who aren't into their thing, and it's almost never the case it's you know like i mean it it kind of falls into like the, the the stereotype thing that i have ran into many times in real life of like the idea of like all the bikers outside the bar look really scary and i bet they're really mean asshole guys and then when you talk to them they're like the most chill coolest people who absolutely aren't that way um yeah that's a thing that happens a lot in life and uh, i feel like that was kind of the episode is yeah. doing that with larry
1: and the worst part is like with that is that like the, the guys who like have that perception end up infesting the spaces of like traditionally masculine things and ruining them because like um like, there's a lot of, like, dude bro, like, hyper masculine focused, like, people in, like, the workout body, you know, like, nutrition type spaces uh, that make it, like, really difficult for me to to get into. Because I think, like, there's actually a really interesting, like, sort of, like, nerdy sort of science angle to all of that of, like, like oh, well, how do you, like, try to get your body to optimize, you know, the production of muscle mass or you know to get into a certain shape or state or whatever like there's a there's an interesting question there but like man you have to wade through so many like pseudoscience bullshit of people who are like trying so hard to like look hyper masculine talking about like how much like like talking about like soy as like a feminizing type thing it's like you have no idea what you're talking about like (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and i mean, it's not going to power through that.
0: <laughs> I will say that I think the internet concentrates that to an insane degree.
1: That's very true, yeah.
0: Because I mean, like, like in the automotive community, this is the community that I'm the most familiar with. Um, I hate every single part of the online automotive community, whether it is a Reddit post, a forum post, every single space of automotive things on the internet are filled with a bunch of tiny little Ben Shapiro's who um probably who like they're less about the actual car enthusiasm industry and or not industry oof uh but you know the car enthusiast like hobby they're less about that they're more about posting about it online and making themselves feel like this idea that they have and um they're really toxic shitheads doing the ripped
1: pants thing (laughs) they're toxic
0: shitheads on the internet but when you actually walk into a space when you walk into a car show like specifically car shows when you go to car shows and you start chatting with people and you find that like there's only one guy at the car show who is that way he is the only one there who posts on the internet and the other 50 guys there hate that asshole (laughs) Um, and that's, and I, and I'm not saying that like, you know, that, that is replicates perfectly in every other thing. Um, I don't know much about like the weightlifting of, you know, uh, body, uh, that stuff. I don't know much about that space, but I know like in the automotive space, that's, it's the online community versus the real life community is like two sides of, uh, like, yeah, they're wildly different.
1: For sure. Yeah uh you know i think it's i think it's interesting that like in a sense like those kind of people are like the spongebob doing the ripped pants thing too much you know what i mean like they're trying too hard to project like to to, to like be in there for you know reasons of projecting a certain image and uh rather than trying to be like authentically into the thing like but yeah
0: Well, uh, I think that kind of wraps up everything I had to talk about with this episode being a, um, this nine minute SpongeBob episode. We've packed 45 minutes of content out of it. Go us expert podcasters. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Like, uh, soon, soon we'll be able to get a two part episode out of nine minutes of content (laughs) with enough practice.
0: Yes. Um, Yeah. Um, yeah. Do we, uh, well, um, a plug, I'm going to get this posted this week. So this plug will matter. We've got a mutual aid fair coming up here in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, uh, Philip, do you want to kind of give the details on that?
1: Yeah, it'll be this Saturday, uh, Saturday, the 26th. It starts at 12 and goes till three. Uh, and we will have all kinds of stuff, um, all free, um, not uh and not means tested or anything uh you just show up and get free groceries hygiene products clothing haircuts we've got uh, our own our very own uh tom mcfarland on brake light repair uh and uh we've got some people doing bike repairs which has been very popular with the kids in particular um we'll have food um there'll be pet food um books Uh, menstrual products all kinds of absolutely fantastic stuff we do it once a season red dirt collective does um and it's been uh awesome every time it's a huge um huge big event we it's been it's grown every single time Uh, there's always more people than the last and we always manage to get more stuff than the last time uh so it's been a really cool thing to see grow um, and a really cool thing to do for, uh, the people of our community, um, so if you're interested in that, um, you can, uh, donate, or you can, uh, donate your time, or, uh, it's probably too late to donate much of anything, uh, besides money at this point, since it's happening this weekend, but, um, it will, um, We'll have, you know, photos and, and videos of the event. So if you're interested in it, interested in what Red Collective is doing, uh, definitely find us on Facebook and look out for those things. Uh, it's a really cool um, event and I look forward to it every season.
0: Yep. And I mean, even if you're not local, if you are just, inter- if you're hearing these things that we're doing as Red Dirt Collective and thinking, huh, that sounds interesting, look us up, uh, find out about what we're doing, and I'd almost bet you can find an analog in your community, an organization doing something similar, and if you don't, you can look at what we're doing, and you can look at how you might be able to start Planting the seeds for that to crop up in your own community, um, because that's how these things start. This was this is all grassroots organizing, uh, local community people doing the thing. Just a bunch of people with a bunch of different skills coming together and doing stuff. So, um, yeah, organize, organize, organize. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, night, or whatever time of day it is. Thank you.